Hey, we're going to be talking about the law. Ooh, boy. Everybody said, yes! That's what I was, I was hoping I would come to church and, and hear it about the law. That's what I like to hear about. So, I don't know. Anyways, uh, before we get into that, though, let me just start us off with this. Did y'all know that there are some pretty crazy laws in the United States of America? Did you know, for instance... That in Georgia, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sunday. <laughs> it makes you like, we know that any law that's been made, there, there must have been some reason, something must have happened for uh, legislators to say, hey, we, we've got to put this in the books. Like, this has to be a law. I would love to know what's going down in Georgia because I love ice cream. Uh, I don't really want anybody to tell me what to do with my ice cream. Uh, if I want to carry it in my back pocket on a Sunday, I would just like to have that freedom. But apparently, if you're there, you don't. So uh, in Washington, this is a good one, in the state of Washington, a motorist with criminal intentions must stop at the city limits and call the chief of police as he is entering the town. So, if you're driving your car and you have criminal intentions in the state of Washington, then don't forget to make that phone call. I'm sure that the police chief's phone is just ringing off of the stand right there because all of the, the criminals calling in. Um, in California, I'm good, I, I like this one right here. In California, it's illegal to jump from a car going over 65 miles per hour. So, if, again, if you feel like you need to jump out of your car and you're in California, make sure you're going 64 or below. Uh, probably good, uh, good advice anyway. Uh, in Los Angeles, it's illegal to wash your neighbor's car without their permission. So uh, I will say this, though. We are not in Los Angeles. And if you want to wash my car, you do have my permission. Um, <laughs> this one's funny. In Vermont, women must get permission from their husbands if they want to get false teeth. The funniest part about this law is at some point they reviewed this law. And instead of nullifying it or just abolishing the law, they said, no, we're going to keep the law. We're just not going to enforce it anymore. That's what I find so, so funny. They're like, no, this is a law. We need to have, this is Vermont, and in Vermont we have certain standards, and, and if you're going to be here, this is a law. We're not going to enforce it anymore, but just to let you know, this will still be our, our law. Uh, I've got one more, and then I'll talk about Texas. I'm going to pick on Texas for a second. But in New Jersey, if you're found wearing a bulletproof vest while committing a crime, not only will you be charged for the crime, but you will also get another criminal charge for trying to protect yourself from bullet wounds. So uh, <laughs> there's lots of charges I can have in there in New Jersey. So, I mean, it's funny to think, to look at all these things and think, what, what in the world? My goodness. Like, what are people thinking? Like, what goes through their minds? But it happens here in Texas, too. For instance, did you know in Texas, 
it is illegal to own the entire volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Did you know that? So, are we, do we have any lawbreakers in the room? <laughs> there, there's, like, there's like two people. Everyone else is like, I just Google. I don't, I don't use the encyclopedia. <laughs> Our own pastor. My goodness. <laughs> don't turn them in, y'all. The reason why is because there is a recipe for homemade beer inside of the encyclopedia. And uh, Texas apparently decided that you should not know how to make beer in your home. Uh, so they, uh, they banned that. Um, also, I think this is good for all of us to know, in Texas, you are breaking the law if you sell your eyeballs. It is illegal in Texas to sell your eyeballs. Don't know why they felt like they had to put that in the books. Uh, but they did. Here's my favorite one and the last one. I, I know you're probably getting bored of this, but my favorite one. In Texas, if two trains meet at a railroad crossing, both must stop and neither can go until the other one is gone. That is a law in the state of Texas. Now, the story behind this, some of you are probably like, well, you know, that's probably the safe thing to do. You know, we don't want to have train. Let me, let me say this again. If two trains meet at a railroad crossing, they both must stop, and neither one can move until the other one is gone. Okay. Some of you are like, yeah, that still sounds like the safe thing, but uh, you'll catch it here in a second. It'll catch up with you in a second. Here's the funny story behind this. There was a, a state senator who didn't like a particular bill that was coming up through legislation, and uh, he didn't want a certain law to be passed. So what he did was he just tacked on this ridiculous conundrum onto the law about the trains so that people would see it and be like, we can't pass this. This is ridiculous. Uh, the problem was, because of a recess or something that happened, uh, they never noticed it. No one else ever noticed it. Uh, the law was passed in the House and Senate, sent to the governor, and signed before anyone realized that uh, the trains can't move if they meet each other. So, uh, <laughs> the funny thing about this is, is we, we look at these laws and we think, how ridiculous, right? Like, th this, is, this is crazy. But I think a lot of our problem, I shouldn't say problem, a lot of our, our train of thought is that here in the United States of America, if you don't like a law, you can elect your lawgivers that hopefully will uh, write legislation and approve and, and enact legislation that agrees with the laws that you think are appropriate. But whenever it comes to the Word of God, we see all kinds of laws in here and and some of us think, ah, I just don't really like that. I, that doesn't fit in with, with what I'm comfortable with, so I'm just going to kind of just pretend that that one's not there. Oh, that's in the Bible. Oh, I never read it. I guess, I, you know, I, I'm not guilty, you know. But the truth of the matter is, if it's in the Word of God, then we should live by it. Now the problem comes in, well, wait a second, Sam. You're talking about the law, and whenever the law is discussed, most of the time, we're talking about the old law. And the, Jesus fulfilled the old law, so we're not under the old law anymore. 
Uh, and that's what we want to talk about today, um, because there are some strange laws in the Bible. Uh, for instance, there's, uh, we, we know all the laws, you know, the Ten Commandments, do not murder, don't steal, all those kind of things. We, we can look at those and say, oh, I agree with those. Those are good laws. But I don't know if you're real familiar with the Old Testament or the law, but there's some kind of strange laws in there too. And uh, in fact, the only law in the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, the only law that is repeated three times, do y'all want to guess what it is? Anybody know? Anybody just want to shout out? Listen, I'm a youth pastor. I'm used to people like acting up and, you know, throwing things at me and stuff like that. So you're going to have to, you know. <laughs> you want me to tell you what it is? The only law that's repeated three times in the first five books of the Bible, which is where the law was given, is this. You must not cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's it. That's the law that is repeated the most in the Pentateuch. It's given by God. He said, hey, you must not cook your baby goat in its mother's milk. So I want you to know today that if you have goats at home, you may want to give this some thought because apparently God thought it was important enough to not just put it in there once or twice, but three times. And if you want to know a crazy law, then just look up Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11. I'm not even going to read it here this morning because it, it could be inappropriate. Uh, but if you're just like curious, hmm, I want to look 20, Deuteronomy 25, 11. There are some strange laws that God gave to his people Israel. Some strange laws. So what do we do with that? We know as Christians we should be obedient to Christ. We have been given this law in the Old Testament, but under the New Covenant, are we still supposed to observe some of these laws and not others and which ones and who gets to decide? And There's a bunch of confusion. So today we want to talk about this idea. What do we do with the Old Testament? What do we do with it? I uh, mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the Word of God is good. This is a good book from the front all the way to the back. It is a good book. And we know that it's broken up into two main sections right there. We've got the, help me out, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I mentioned that I, I think a better way, I, I'm not God, obviously, so I, I shouldn't be the one to decide this, but I think a better way for me to look at it isn't necessarily the old and the new, but the first and the second testament. The first testament and the second testament, because it is all good. But we can look at some of these laws and think, well, I don't know, some of these are, are kind of crazy. Some of these are a little bit out there. So, Here's point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. And you may have to write fast today because I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Number one, what is the law? So when we're talking about the law of God, or if we say the Torah or Pentateuch, which are just uh, fancy Hebrew and Greek words for the first five books of the Bible, uh, if we say the Mosaic law or the law of Moses, we're referring back to those first five books where God gave his law to his covenant people, Israel. So what is the law? Whenever we say the law, that's what we're talking about, is the rules that God gave for his people, Israel, whenever he brought them out of the land 
of Egypt. Do y'all know, does anybody want to guess? Maybe someone already knows, but does anyone want to guess how many laws God gave his covenant people? Woo! 613! Good job, good job. There's 613 laws that have been given. That's a lot of laws. That's a whole lot to keep up with. And uh, we know that whenever God first gave the law, how many did he give, Brother Ken? He gave 10. And we call that the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments. Uh, very good. Y'all are doing great. I told you this will be a little bit more studious today, so I guess I'll be like the teacher. If anybody gets out of line, I'll have to grab a ruler. And Do they still do that in school? I don't even know. I never went to school, by the way. I was homeschooling. So my teacher, she was kind of strict. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> so we've got the law of Moses. It started with 10 basic commandments. If you would put that... Uh, the moral law slide up there for me, please, Taya. So here's our Ten Commandments, and what we've done is we've taken these 613 commandments, Bible scholars have taken these 613 commandments and kind of broken them into three categories of commandments to help us better understand why God gave certain laws and, and if they apply to us today. Um, and so these Ten Commandments, they are the moral laws of God. This is God's moral standard, and we would all agree that this is something that we should live by. We must not have any other gods but our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We must not make for ourselves an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Those are the first four commands, but if you'll notice, I put four on the left side. I put six on the right side. Honor your mother and father. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor, and you must not covet. Can anyone see why we might have put these into two categories? The ones on the left, these are laws that refer to your relationship with who? God. And the ones on the right, the last six, are the ones that refer to your relationship with who? People. And so even God, as he's given the law, he's already kind of putting it into categories right here. The laws, the moral laws of God when it deals with your relationship with him and whenever it deals with your relationship with other people. So where did the other 603 laws come into play? Uh, we've categorized those into two other categories. The first one is ceremonial law. If you could put that next slide up. Ceremonial law. What these laws were in the law of Moses, I told you it's going to kind of be like a teaching session right here, but just hang with me. It's about to get real good. The ceremonial laws, these are amplifications of the moral laws that have to do with your relationship with God. So whenever you're reading in the Old Testament and you hear about certain Jewish feasts or you hear about animal sacrifice or uh, the priesthood or the tabernacle or, or any of these things, those laws relate to the moral laws of God, how to honor God, how to love God. The last set of laws, so we've got our moral, we've got our ceremonial, the last set of laws is called the civil laws, what we call the civil laws. What these are are just more amplifications of the moral law regarding your relationship with other people. So I don't know if you knew this, but in the Bible, it distinguishes between murder and manslaughter. If you kill somebody, are you murdering them, or was it an accidental, uh, did you kill someone on accident? 
Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the United States, our laws concerning murder and manslaughter, we have adopted those from the Word of God. Uh, they also include stuff like uh, responsibility for property damages. If you damage someone's property, uh, it covers a bunch of stuff about lawsuits and liabilities and, and all of these kinds of things. So we have our moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, the Ten basic laws that God gave. And then from those laws, we have ceremonial laws to help us relate to God, and we have civil laws to help us relate to other people. <sighs> okay, go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back. You're doing good, everybody. You're doing really good. And I love this. There's 613 laws that he gave, but in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked by religious leaders, what is the most important command? 613. Jesus, we want you to tell us what you think the number one most important command is. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God. Someone say love. With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. And I read this and I think, Jesus, I don't know if you ever took a math class or not. But he said, the, the, here's the, they asked, what's, what's the number one most important? He said, love the Lord your God. But there's also a second, but the second isn't less important. It's equally as important. So in other words, Jesus is, he's, he's getting a two for one right here. It's really good. Uh, maybe he's just a good businessman. I don't know. But the second is equally important. Here's the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Someone say love. Verse 40, Jesus says, the entire law. And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I love Jesus. He just makes it real simple for us, doesn't he? He says there's 613 commandments. Do you want to know the most important one? Love God and love people. And as long as you're loving God and loving people, you're going to be fulfilling all of the others too. Someone say, he's so good. So that's point number one. What is the law? Now you know what the law of Moses or the Mosaic law is. It's ten commandments. And from those ten commandments come 603 others. And then Jesus took all of those and condensed them down to one. Because he's just that good. So what does that mean for us as, as New Testament believers? Here's point number two. A lot of people will say, well, isn't the old law old? <laughs> like, what's the difference? Why did Jesus bring a new law if the old law was effective and it was working? I mean, it's just old. In other words, Pastor Sam, it just didn't work. And I want to say this as, as we get into this point right here. I want everybody to understand this. The old law is not bad. It's not bad. And I honestly, I don't know why so many Christians, I, I think that maybe they just try to justify some of their sin by saying, well, we're not under the old law anymore. But listen, the old law is not bad. It never was bad. In fact, look what David says about it. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 through 8, 
He says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. This is what David had to say about the law. He, he says, God, your law, it's perfect. It's perfect. So if David is, is he's a man after God's own heart, he's, he's speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit right here, and if he says that the law is perfect, then if we're to believe otherwise, then we're going to have to believe that somewhere along the way, the law became full of faults. But that's just not the case. David thinks pretty highly of the law. Just yesterday, we had the, the church work day, and we came up here, and uh, they, there was a, a fence in the backyard over here that, that kind of covers our propane tanks, and, and we had some women out there that were fixing that fence and painting it up, making it look real nice. We were cleaning out our back storage building over here. Uh, Brother Ken and Brother Billy uh, were in a hole um, that you could have fit a car in, it looked like, trying to fix a, a leaking pipe. Um, and, then, and then Brother Ken decided he wanted to paint that whole side of the church over there. Uh, <laughs> we had some men that were up in the uh, big scissor lift that we have at the very top part of the ceiling in the Family Life Center, taping up some of the insulation that has been uh, broken from volleyballs and footballs and those sorts of things. And and uh, we, we had people all over the place cleaning and fixing and repairing and, and trying to make uh, an old building, an old campus here, look like it's not that old. And whenever it comes to things in our life, we view them all as, as temporary. Most everything that we have or own, we think one day it's, it's going to fall apart, it's going to deteriorate, it's going to need maintenance, we're going to have to fix it up. Um, but here's the thing, if we take that same type of mentality to the Word of God, that just because it's old doesn't mean that it needs to be fixed. Here in our temporal things, if things get, when things start to get old, they tend to need repairing. But can I tell you today, the Word of God needs no repairing. It doesn't grow old, it doesn't get rusty, it doesn't get moldy, it doesn't start to fall apart. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It stands forever. You don't have to patch it up. You don't have to replace it. It stands forever. So what do you do with an old law that, that has all these old rules and, and you don't know, I'm a New Testament Christian. Do I follow them? Do I not? Are we still under them or are we not? Is, was it bad? Is it not? What do we do with that type of information? What does that mean for me, Pastor Sam? I, I want to explain it to you like this. Here recently, I have... Uh, I've always enjoyed cooking, but not as a job. <laughs> I, I enjoy it kind of as an art. You know, if I make something, uh, it's not going to be just, you know, on your stovetop or in your oven. It's usually going to be in a smoker or on a grill or in a fire or something like that. Um, and so what I've done lately is that I've gotten into cooking uh, with cast iron. Does anybody here still cook with cast iron? 
Okay, a few people, a few people. All right, all right. I think maybe that I started enjoying it because I like a little bit of a challenge. I don't know. If I can just throw everything together and it tastes delicious, I'm excited about it. But I would rather it take me like four hours for some reason. I don't know. I'm just crazy like that, I guess. Um, but I decided that I wanted to try to start cooking with cast iron. And so I uh, found this pan at the, at the bottom of our kitchen cabinet and, and uh, started cooking something in it. And I didn't know a whole lot. I'm just like, hey, it's cast iron. People say you can cook some delicious stuff in cast iron. Uh, and so I spent the next two hours cleaning a cast iron skillet. Now, here's the thing about cast iron. It's pretty inexpensive. You, you, can, you can get a good heavy-duty pot for very little money compared to some of the other cookware that's out there. It's very expensive, or it's very inexpensive. It's also very durable. So you're probably not going to break this. Um, in fact, I just bought this lid for it a few weeks back, and the packaging that came on the lid uh, said something to the effect of if this you know, cast iron cookware is properly cared for, then it will last generations. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this, this thing is going to outlast my life <laughs> here on earth. That's pretty incredible, right? That's, we're so used to things falling apart and breaking all around us. It's nice to know that there are some things out there that are going to hold up, right? Uh, not only that, but it's pretty versatile, so we, we've got a, a glass cooktop. You can cook on a glass cooktop with this. You can put it in the oven. Uh, you can put it on the grill. You can uh, put it in the fire and put coals on top and, and cook your uh, cornbread or, or biscuits or whatever you're wanting to cook in there. Uh, you, you can sear things in it. You can bake things in it. It's a pretty versatile piece of cookware. Some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to go try to find our cast iron when we get home. So, if it's pretty inexpensive, and if it's durable and it's going to hold up, the other day I was, uh, I was pounding out some chicken, or going to pound out some chicken, and I looked in our drawer where our little wooden mallet was supposed to be, and I said, Emily, where's the wooden mallet? She said, oh, that thing broke. And I was like, well, how am I going to pound out my chicken? And so my pan was sitting there on the stove, and I was like, you know what, I bet that would do it. Turns out, you can pound out chicken very quickly with the skillet. Now, if you try to use a different type of pan and you go to pounding something out, it probably won't last for generations. Uh, but your cast iron will. And you can think about all of these wonderful things we've just discussed about cast iron. You can be like, wow, it's great. I don't know why anybody doesn't cook with cast iron. I don't know if you've ever made anything on cast iron. You're just like, man, that tastes better. It just, I don't know what it is about cast iron. It just makes things taste better. You get a better taste, a better texture. It's beautiful. And so if you can do all these things with cast iron, why would anybody want anything else? Now, here's the thing. I started cooking with cast iron, and I was telling Emily about it, and I spent like a whole evening uh, working on seasoning the pan properly. I'm like on Google, like, you know, what do I do to make my cast iron nonstick? And, you know, how do I clean, you know, burn on stuff? And not that I burn things. But anyways, so I'm talking to Emily about all this, and she's like, well, you can have it. That's yours. That's your pan. I don't want anything to do with it. 
And you just think, why not? It's, it's, it's like the perfect piece of cookware. She says, Sam, you can't put that thing in a dishwasher. If you want to put something in the dishwasher, you got to get something that was made within the last century. And we got this pan from Ikea, super cheap. Um, I guess it's aluminum, maybe. Stainless steel, stainless steel. Some of you are like, wow, this guy doesn't know anything. <laughs> Emily's definitely the, uh, she, she makes the food in our family. But anyways, it's got a nice nonstick surface right here. And the wonderful thing about this pan is you can cook something in it, take your food out of it, put this straight into the dishwasher, close it up, start it. It does all the work for you. Can't do that with cast iron. Y'all know the saying, if it ain't broke... That's the kind of mentality that we have with a lot of things. You could look at a cast iron skillet and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with that skillet. That's a perfectly good skillet. Why would you need any other type of skillet? If it ain't broke, Sam, don't fix it. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. It's a good skillet, but here's the thing. It doesn't apply for every situation. If you're a mom and you have several kids and you're working in the home, you're working at the job, you're taking kids back and forth to practices, and, and you're going to church, and you're serving here, and doing this, and doing that. You just don't have time for cast iron. Emily's like, Sam, I just don't have time. You're going to have to be okay with the taste and the texture of a stainless steel pan, because I don't have time for cast iron. It's not that anything is wrong with cast iron. It's just that it's not a complete solution for a busy family. And whenever it comes to the law, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with the law. It works great. The problem with it is that it's just not a complete solution. It's not a complete solution for us. Let me put it to you this way. The law is perfect. David says that your law is perfect. It's perfect in its nature, but it's imperfect in its results. It's perfect in its nature, but it's imperfect in its results. The law was a perfect expression of God's righteousness, but an imperfect means of making you righteous. The fault with the law wasn't in the law itself, but in the fact that people could never live up to its standards. The law is perfect. Here's the problem. We aren't. I'm not. There's nothing wrong with this skillet. The problem with this skillet isn't in its design or, or it's the way that it works. The problem with this skillet is me. I'm just too lazy to clean it. I just don't want to have to go through the process of seasoning it. I just like to put everything in the dishwasher. Do you see what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem isn't in the law. The problem never was in the law. The problem was always with me. It's with me. Here's the last point that I want to share with you today. 
Some of us say, you know, what is the law now that we understand what the law is? Uh, you know, what, what um, isn't, isn't the law old? Isn't it, isn't it broken? Isn't it gone away with? And here's the point number three. Has the old law been replaced? Has it been replaced? Didn't Jesus do away with the old law? If you've still got your finger in Hebrews chapter 8, we want to read right there for just a moment, starting in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. This is what he says. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. And so we, we can see he's already taken verbiage and ideas from the old law, the high priest and the tabernacle. He's taken these and he's about to relate it to us. He says, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Verse 3, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest, that is Jesus, must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship. Someone say system of worship. That is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. The writer of Hebrews says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Did y'all catch that? It's the second covenant is replacing the first covenant because there is a fault somewhere. Look what he says, the very next thing. Verse 8, but when God found fault with his people, there was no fault in the old covenant. The fault was with me. The law is good, but I, I just can't keep it because I'm not good, is what he's saying here. When God found fault with the people, he said this. this is, he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31 right here. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws. See, here's the thing. A lot of us, we, we will say, this is what we'll say, well, the new covenant isn't about law. It's about grace and faith. But Jesus says here, or the Lord says here in Jeremiah chapter 31, and then the Hebrew author is quoting it. He says, I will put my laws in their minds. I will put their 
my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Church, that's so beautiful. And it gives us so much more clarity with this subject that's already kind of confusing. Like, what do we do as a New Testament believer with the Old Testament law? There's some pretty strange laws in there. Pastor saying, like, what do we do with this? I love this. He says the Holy Spirit isn't going to write these laws on a tablet of stone anymore like he did in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Instead, he's going to write his laws on people's hearts. He's going to put them in your mind, and he's going to write them on your hearts. I will be your God and you'll be my people. And it goes on to say, verse 11, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. Why? Because my laws are in their hearts. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Here's the last verse I want to uh, read from Hebrews chapter 8. It says, when God speaks of a new covenant, It means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. And so now if you've been following this whole time, you should deserve a double pat on the back for sure. But you might be thinking, wait a second, Sam, you said the law is perfect, but then you, you've read in Hebrews that the law is now obsolete, that it's, it's, it's done with, it's, it's finished, it's, it's expired. So what do we make of this? Do we have to follow it or do we not? The answer is yes, you have to follow it, and yes, you don't have to follow it. Now we're really confused, right? Everyone say, man, this is, this is what I came for today. <laughs> this is what I mean by that. We do have to follow the old law, but we don't have to follow the old law. Here's what I mean by that. With the new law we have been given through Christ, our salvation isn't dependent on the law anymore. When God gave the law, If you were to be made right with God, you had to fulfill every commandment from the law. Next week, I'm going to share a little bit more about the law next week, too. And it's going to be good. That that one is going to be more preaching. So I know this one's more teaching. That one's going to be more preaching. So come back for that. But can I just let you in on something we're going to talk about next week? You can't do all of the law. No one ever has except for Jesus. And because he was perfect, he fulfilled the moral. He fulfilled the civil. He fulfilled the ceremonial law. And now for us to be made right with God, we don't have to depend on the old system. Instead, we are under a new covenant of grace and faith. If you want to be saved, if you want to be made right with God now, then as Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. That's how you're made right with God now. So do I have to follow the old law or do I not? Yes, you don't have to follow it to be made right with God, but here's where it comes into play for a New Testament believer. 
We are still required by God to live a life of obedience and a life of morality, not so that we can be saved, but as a form of worship. So now that we have been made right with God through faith and through grace, we're not under the law and the requirements of it anymore, but we do it as a form of thanksgiving and worship to a God who is still morally pure. The morality of the old law hasn't disappeared. Why? Because the morality of the old law is still perfect. And that brings us to this last point right here, and the, the worship team came, come on up. If you think, you know, well, what, what do I do with this now? What do I do with this information? I, I know that I don't have to follow the old law for my salvation, but it's, a, it's required of God as a, as a form of worship. What, is, what do I do now with those weird laws in the Bible? Like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> I may talk about that one more next week. If you want to know why you shouldn't boil a young goat in its mother's milk, come back next week. I know all of you are like ready. Like, I can't, I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> but here's how you take the old law and you apply it to a New Testament believer. It's not about the physical requirement anymore but it's about the principle of the law. Whenever Jesus said that, when the, he was asked, which law is the most important? Jesus said, love God and love people. <laughs> what was he doing? He was taking all 613 laws and he's saying, here is the principle behind the laws. Love God and love people. Here's an example that I want to show you. This in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 9. They'll put it up on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. It says, for the law of Moses, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. It says, for the law of Moses says, the old law says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. That was a law in the old covenant. If you got an ox... And if you're treading out the grain, don't close its mouth. Don't force its mouth to stay closed. And look what Paul does with this civil law. He says, was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seeds among you, this is Paul, he's the, the, uh, the leader, the founder and the leader of this church in Corinth right there. He says, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? Let's skip down to verse 14. It says, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. I want to show you what Paul did. He took an Old Testament law that said, hey, if you've got your oxen and you're out there harvesting wheat, don't muzzle the oxen's mouth. In other words, let it eat of the grain that it's harvesting. It deserves it. It's right. It's morally right for you to allow your oxen to eat part of the harvest that it is working towards. 
And then Paul takes that law and he says, was God even talking about oxen? (laughs) Don't you know he was talking about us? And this is the principle that Paul pulls out of this oxen law. You should pay your pastors. You should pay those that work in the house of the Lord, that labor in the Lord's work. Don't they deserve a right of the harvest that's being produced? And listen, you could be like, wait a second, Paul. We were talking about cattle, and now you're talking about pastors. Maybe there is a correlation there. I don't know. Maybe they're stubborn. <laughs> but we can look at that and be like, Paul, that, that feels like a stretch. And there are a lot of people that would accuse a believer of saying, hey, we don't have to follow that old law because we're under the new law. But here's the thing. Jesus used that same idea that we don't follow, we don't have to follow these, these seemingly strange laws of the Bible literally, but we do have to take those principles from those laws and apply them to our lives so that we can know how to love God, serve God, honor God, and that we would know how to love people, serve people, and honor people. If you would stand to your feet this morning. Every law in the Bible can be interpreted back to this idea of love. This idea of love. And so I think that the main thing we want to understand here today is this. The law is good. And, but we don't have to obey it to be saved or to be made right with God. We, we're saved and made right with God through faith. But we pull the principles out of the Old Testament and apply it to our lives in a way that loves and serves God and loves and serves people. We do that as worship to God. And so as we begin worship here right now, I want to encourage you to just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this word? And I want to encourage you to allow him to point out areas of your life that haven't been loving and serving and honoring of God and people. And just take these next few moments as as we lift our hands and worship and praise and, and give God adoration and just say, Holy Spirit, would you work in my heart would you work in my heart? Help me to know how to love you. Help me to know how to serve you. And I, God, I pray that you would just bring these principles out of your word, this perfect law, and help me apply them to my life so that I can love you and love others. And here's the beautiful thing, church. The, the Bible says that the world will know us believers by the way that we love one another the way that we serve one another. So here's your homework for this week. Look, I want to encourage you, look into the, look at Exodus or Deuteronomy. You can even go to Leviticus if you're brave enough and look up a couple of just old laws that you just think, what in the world? And just say, Holy Spirit, can you help me understand the principle behind this law of how you want me to love others and to love you more. And today as we worship, we want to encourage you. You're welcome to come to the front. We'll have people that will come up here and would love to pray with you. I want to encourage you to just speak.
take these next few moments. We don't have to worship in the old way. You don't got to bring your goat next week to church service and, and sacrifice it up on the altar. The worship that we get to enjoy today is a worship of lifting up our hands, lifting up our voices, dancing with our feet, shouting from our lungs that, God, you are good. You are deserving. You are worthy. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for this new law, God, that we can be redeemed and saved and set free and made right by faith and by grace in you and the sacrifice that you made. God, we don't have to work for your love. We don't have to work for your acceptance. We just believe in the work that your son did for us on the cross and you make us right in your sight again. Church, that's enough reason to worship. That's enough reason to give God some praise. That's enough reason to smile this morning, knowing you don't have to work for his love. But now that we have his love, we get the opportunity to express that love through the commands that he has given us. Oh, man, he's good. He's good. He's so good. Father, we love you. Let's worship him this morning.